Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. Hey guys, good to see you all again. If you have a Bible, uh, let's turn to the book of Ephesians. Just while you turn there, I just want to commend the worship team and Christian um, for what was a... a, um, a, I hope that you, you kind of caught something of what God was doing in our worship today. Um, I think sometimes we can get into such an, a, a rut of arriving at church on a Sunday and expecting the worship team to come with their four or five songs and we, we kind of decide whether we feel like it or not at times and is this a good song or not. And, and, and I really felt like the guys were, were searching for God's heart in, in worship today. And that's, that's our desire. That's what we want to see happen in worship is, is not just for us to plow through four or five songs, but to find God's heart and um, and so just, uh, just, to, just to commend the worship team and also Christian for, for waiting and trusting to see where, where God was and, uh, and God really came through and, and ministered to us, as I'm sure you all agree. Um, the kids aren't here, so you guys are welcome to make some noise during church. It's, uh, it's not a holy sanctuary that we have to keep quiet. Uh, we're not allowed, we are allowed talking. We are allowed saying amen, heard us Jesus, preach it Steve, anything of those, those uh, ilk. Uh, you're welcome to, to jump in. And uh, make some noise since the kids aren't with us. So uh, um, I came across an interesting article in, uh, uh, the, the other day. In August of 2013, the official Oxford English Dictionary announced its new list of English words that were added to the dictionary. And um, there's some rather intriguing ones. So if you use any of these words in the way that you speak, uh, and anyone says to you, what language are you speaking? You can say with confidence you're speaking English. Some of the words that were added were uh, buzzworthy, cake pop, digital detox, which means you're taking yourself out of Twitter and Facebook for a season, double denim, heard, that, heard of that one? Denim pants, denim top, apparently. Emoji, faux hawk, uh, jorts is one I like. I don't have a pair of jorts. Jorts are denim shorts, but that's what jorts are. Uh, most of you might like the word selfie, because you probably take a lot of those. Um, what some of us should do more of on Facebook is to unlike and defriend people, uh, or words, and even the word twerk, which I'm not going to describe or, uh, or example in any way. And yes, I did use the word twerk in a sermon, so <laughs> twice, oh my goodness, let me stop right there. <laughs> not a chance. I've actually... Uh, I've actually invented a phrase for this sermon that I hope will become part of our vocabulary as a church. And the phrase that I've invented for this sermon, which is actually the subtitle of my sermon, it's this phrase, the greater greatness of grace. The greater greatness of grace. And we're going to be teaching out of Ephesians chapter 2 in the first 10 verses. This is a a real meaty passage, and I feel like I'm going to say this every single week. This is a, a challenging passage. This is a deep passage. This is a profound passage. And so I exhort you at the front end of the sermon to, to stay with me as, if you can. I'm going to do my absolute best to say what needs to be said and not say what doesn't need to be said. And I encourage you for the next 35 minutes, uh, if the Lord does a miracle, if in the next 35 minutes for you to, to stay with me as best as you can, because there's such incredible rich truth um, that that we're going to plow into and, and dig out, hopefully, out of these verses. Read with me if you can. As for you, Paul writes, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Uh, but God, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wow. We've been uh, teaching uh, uh, through, started this Ephesians series three weeks ago, and the, the title that we've given to the series is the word citizens. And it's our intention over these uh, next 10 or 11 weeks to, to help us as a church, hopefully the Spirit of God, to help us as a church to discover what it means to be in Christ and what are the, the, the riches of that reality and how do we, as citizens of heaven, live here on earth. Uh, two weeks ago, Christian did an outstanding job setting the series up for us, and he, he helped us understand that, the, that the, uh, the, 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 our citizenship finds its origin in the plan of God. Uh, this is not some random idea, but this is God's plan. God has purposed to bring all things under the rulership of Jesus. And our citizenship, our salvation, our citizenship into the kingdom of God is very much part of God's plan. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, he says, God chose us in him before the creation of the world. And then he goes on later to say, and he has made known to us the mystery of his will to unite all things together in Jesus. Last week, I spent some time unpacking how we discover a revelation of the citizenship. And we discover this revelation by prayer. It's by crying out to the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask him for the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know Jesus better. And specifically, we learned last week the importance of of asking God to help us to know what it means to be called by God, to know the fact that we are, are are, are his incredible inheritance, and also to know the power that comes by worshiping and serving and submitting our lives to the Lordship of Jesus. This morning, specifically what we're going to be looking at is what is the means of our citizenship? In other words, how do we, how do we become citizens of God? Or how do we become citizens of heaven? And the answer, the one word answer is by salvation. And we're going to focus specifically on that incredible phrase, salvation, which is by grace through faith. And I want to say this from the fr- at the front end. We're going to mention this at the end, but it's not by grace, by faith. It's by grace, through faith. Because if it was by faith, then it would be our faith, our effort. Uh, and even as we're going to see, I don't want to get ahead of my notes, but we're going to see that even the faith that we have to receive Jesus is a gift that God gives us. It's by grace, through faith. Martin Lloyd-Jones Um, in his introduction to his commentary on Ephesians, says this about the particular text that we're looking at. He says this, I know of no chapter in the Bible 
which states so clearly and perfectly in one and the same essential in, in one and the same time the essential evangelistic message for the unbeliever as well as the status and privileges of the believer. And so this message is for every single person in this room, whether you are a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, or whether you don't. This message is for you. And uh, if you are visiting with us today, if you, if you perhaps you, 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 it's your first time, or even if you, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I want to give you a very brief outline uh, according to the way that I'm going to be pack, unpacking this particular text. Three things that we're going to look at. If you are not a follower of Jesus, firstly, where I am right now, verse 1, 2, and 3, where I am right now. Secondly, where God wants me to be. And then thirdly, we're going to answer the question, how do I get there? Where I am right now, where does God want me to be? Or, and then thirdly, how do I get there? But for most of you in this room, I presume most of you are followers of Jesus, I'm going to be unpacking the same scriptures, but the outline is going to be slightly different. For you, it's going to be where I was is the first thing we're going to look at. What am I saved from? And you'll notice in verse 1, Paul says that we, that we were dead. It's what happened in the past. It's what am I saved from? The second thing we're going to look at is, is, is where, I, where am I right now? What am I saved to? And in verse 10, we, we see there that Paul writes, we are God's workmanship. And then thirdly, the third thing we're going to look at is, is, is how do I get there? How does God take me from, from where I was to where I am right now? How did you get to the point where you are right now? What are we saved through? And we're going to unpack that truth. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. So let's look at point number one. Now, as I say, I want you to, to try as best as you can in this opening passage just to follow with me as best as you can. What was I saved from? Let's read the first three verses again. As for you, Paul writes, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Paul takes some time to, to explain and to unpack and help us understand what was our condition before we knew Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it's important that we don't gloss over these verses. Because the, the greater greatness of grace can shine brightest when we understand how great sin actually is. I think sometimes we don't fully grasp the magnitude and the greatness in a negative sense that sin actually is. But when we grasp the, the, the reality of sin and the condition of man outside of Jesus Christ, then we can understand the greater greatness of grace. Don't get me wrong. Don't be fooled, friends. Sin is, is powerful, but grace is even more powerful. And that's what we're going to hopefully have a look at and understand. So please, as I say, stay with me. Don't get discouraged. The first 10, 10 15 minutes, you might think, what on earth have I come here for? I feel like I'm being beaten black and blue by the word. Well, there's good news that's on the way. I promise you, there's good news that's on the way. So three things that Paul speaks about in terms of, of uh, where I was. What am I saved from? Number one, you see it in verse one. Uh, I was dead. Before I knew Jesus, I was dead. Friends, please understand this. Before you knew Jesus, you weren't, going just, you weren't just going through a tough time. You weren't spiritually ill. You weren't spiritually dull. You didn't need fresh perspective on your life. 
Before you knew Jesus, before I knew Jesus, I was dead. I was as interested in God and as responsive to God as a corpse would be. That's how significant my spiritual state was before I knew Jesus Christ. The best way to understand death, I think, is to actually contrast it with life. And, and Jesus does an amazing job in helping us understand what true life really is. John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus prays this prayer. He says, and now this is eternal life, that they may know you, praying to the Father, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Friends, we, we, we must remember God is not only the, just the source of life, but he is the sustainer of life. And so to, to live, to truly live, means to be in relationship with God. It means to know him. It means to be in intimate fellowship with him. It means to, to enjoy the experiences of his closeness and his intimacy. And so by definition, to be dead, to be spiritually dead, is to be absent from God's presence. It's to be, it's to be blinded to the glory of Jesus. It's to, be, it's to be deafened to the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's to be hardened to the love of the Father. Friends, life outside of the presence of God is, is no life at all. It's, 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 a, it's a living death if we're living outside of the presence of God. I was dead, Paul says. In verse two and three, Paul gives us the second uh, area, the second thing that we're saved from. And he says that I was a slave. You can look at that in verse two and verse three. Paul uses the phrase um, to follow, uh, which in the English is a rather anemic word. It doesn't describe the full extent of what Paul was trying to communicate. The, the word to follow in the Greek means to be mastered by something or to be enslaved by something or to be controlled by something. And Paul unpacks three areas that we were enslaved or we were enslaved to or, in, or mastered by. The first one in verse two, Paul says this. He says, I followed the ways of this world. I followed the ways of this world. Basically, I was a slave to the influence of culture. I was, I was being shaped into the world around me. I was being squeezed into its, its mold. Sometimes that can happen in an enforced way. I'm from South Africa, as, as are a few others in this church. And, and in South Africa, the, the ungodly regime of apartheid was imposed upon a nation. And so generations of black South Africans grew up believing that they were second-class citizens. That's a world culture. That's a worldview that was imposed upon people. But for most of us sitting in this room, that's not the case. Before we knew Jesus, because we were dead in our transgressions and sins, we willingly surrendered to the culture of this world. And can I say, friends, that sounds fine, but don't forget the culture in which we live, the culture of this world is a culture that's void of God. It's, it's an amoral culture. It means it's rejected the notion of absolute truth. It's an individualistic culture, which means it's rejected the, the idea of community. It, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a materialistic culture, which, which has rejected the notion of, of being generous and serving one another and living simply. In all essence, it's a secular culture which has rejected the notion of God. Secondly, in verse 2, Paul says, not only did he follow the ways of the world, but he says, I followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We shouldn't be surprised that behind this disgust and this disdain and this hardness towards God is actually Satan at work. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul literally describes salvation as a transfer of kingdoms. 
If you're a believer in Jesus today, let me tell you this. You, your citizenship has been changed. You've changed kingdoms. You've been rescued, as Paul says in First Corinthians, uh, first, uh, sorry, in Colossians chapter 1. He says, you've been rescued. You've been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness. And you've been placed into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. You've been rescued from the kingdom that Satan rules over. And Paul goes on, if you have a look in verse 2, he says that Satan is at work in those who are disobedient. And friends, if there's, if there's one word that can describe best our condition outside of Jesus, it's probably that word disobedience. Disobedience is the root of sin. Sin is not the absence of godly character. Sin is, the, is, the, is not willing to obey the authority of God. That's what sin actually is. And Satan is at work at those who are, who are disobedient. Thirdly, Paul says, not only were we enslaved to the world, not only were we enslaved to, to Satan, but thirdly, in verse 3, he says that we, we were enslaved to the passions or the desires or the cravings of the flesh. Now, this morning's sermon is not the time to, to unpack the, the reality of what the flesh means. The NIV translates it the, the sinful nature or the sin nature. And so I'm just going to read a paragraph to, to hopefully help you understand what is Paul referring to when he, when, when he uses the word sin nature in the NIV or the word flesh. Just follow along and hopefully you'll, you'll pick up what I'm trying to say. Flesh in this context stands not simply for a person's physical existence. So it's not just your physical existence, but it's the sphere of humanity. It's, it's human nature in its sinfulness and opposition to God. It's the sphere in which a person not only displeases God, but is it also, in fact, incapable of pleasing God. Romans chapter 8 says that. Paul teaches that those who follow the ways of the flesh, it is impossible for them to please God. It is the sphere in which life is lived in pursuit of one, one's own ends and in independence to, to God. As such, it is not limited to indulgence and sensuality, we sometimes think of the flesh as, as lustful thoughts or, or, or whatever. It's not limited to indulgence and sensuality, but can take on various forms, even religion. Essentially, friends, what Paul is saying is that the flesh is the self-centered human nature. It's human nature that's turned in on itself. It's always asking the question, what's in it for me? It's always looking to use everything at our disposal, including God, for our own benefit. And that's why, friends, can I say this as clearly as I can? There is nothing godly in religion. Nothing godly in religion. Because it's using even God for our own benefit. So Paul has laid out this picture of us being enslaved from within to the flesh, from without to the world, and behind both is Satan that is working uh, in us and, and through those particular things. Sounds discouraging, doesn't it? Don't worry, it's going to get better, but I've got one more bit of bad news for us before we get to the good stuff. Third thing, not only was I dead before I knew Jesus, not only was I enslaved, but also, Paul says in the second part of verse 3, he says, I was condemned. I was condemned. He says, look, if you look with me at verse, the second part of verse 3, we were by nature objects, or in some translation, children of wrath, children of the fury or of, of the anger of God or whatever. 
under, before I, I knew Jesus, before I was in relationship with Jesus, I lived under the wrath of God. I lived under the anger of God. I, I've been meditating on this reality of God's anger and God's wrath. And, and I feel like for so many Christians, it's the, it's the thing about God we least like to discuss. It's like knowing a family secret that, that everyone knows and everyone kind of just avoids. We don't like to talk about it. Like having a fun, jovial uncle who's got a bit of a drinking problem. And, and everyone loves the fun uncle, but we just don't mention the drinking issue because it's kind of in the shadows. We don't like to bring it up at family meetings. And that's sometimes how I feel Christians approach the wrath of God. I had a friend in South Africa, an incredible man. Uh, his wife had died in a car accident. He was a single father, an amazing, amazing man of God. And unbeknown to me, I found this out later, unbeknown to me, he actually had spent a number of years in the South African Special Forces, uh, a very elite military organization. He had, uh, I don't want to get into too much detail, but he had basically been psychologically broken and rebuilt, as it were, psychologically by the military in order to be this high-powered um, secret agent kind of guy. I didn't know any of this, and, and one day we were, we kinda were hanging out, and we were, we were roughhousing, we were playing around, pushing, around, pushing each other around a bit, and, and I, jovial, I jokingly slapped him across the face, and literally in that moment, he turned to me, and he goes, don't ever do that to me again, and I could see the, the mood had changed, and I said, why? And he said, I could kill you right now, and I probably would if I reacted to, to the way I feel right now, and I came to understand that this was, this was his dark secret. He was a great guy. I loved hanging out with him. But this was his little dark secret that no one discussed or no one brought out. And friends, we must be careful not to treat the wrath of God like that. God's great. God's good. I love God. But there's this little part of him that I don't fully understand and I don't like to discuss very much. I want to suggest to you that fully, if we fully understand the wrath of God, it actually gives us reason to worship him more. I want to share with you what I've written down about the wrath of God. Listen to this. Unlike our anger, God's wrath or God's anger is not bad temper and it's not spite. It's not revenge and it's not unpredictable or subject to mood. The wrath of God is his perfect, righteous, predictable, unchanging, consistent, and uncompromising response to evil. Because God responds predictably and consistently and uncompromisingly to evil, I can live in peace knowing that Jesus has satisfied the wrath of God and I am in him. And friends, when we understand the wrath of God in this way, actually the wrath of God is a reason for us to praise him. Father, thank you that you are uncompromising and consistent in your response to evil. It gives us reason for worship. So what was I saved from? Well, I was saved from death, I was saved from bondage, and I was saved from condemnation. And I, I've intentionally taken 15 minutes or so to, to paint this, this negative picture of how great sin is because I want the greater greatness of God's grace to shine all the more brightly in our hearts today. And that's what we're going to look at in the second part of the sermon. But can I just add this one other point? I think we also need to grasp the reality of who we were outside of Jesus because it, it prevents us from becoming superficial in our handling of the gospel. We start to realize when we understand the reality of who man 
uh, is outside of Jesus, we start to realize, friends, the reason why we do church. I love what Jamie and Jess had shared about the woman's shelter. I love that we're going out to pray for the sick. I love all of those things. But friends, behind all of that, and I know it's true for the, the folk who lead these ministries, behind that is this, is this intentionality, this desire to realize, to know that behind it is the truth of the gospel, that people are dead outside of Jesus Christ. And they need the preaching of the gospel. They need to experience the greater greatness of God's grace, which is what we're going to look at. What was I saved from? Secondly, we're going to look at what am I saved to? And we're going to jump all the way through to verse 10. And I'm just going to touch on this very briefly because Paul has shown us where we come from. And he's now going to show us what we are saved to. Look at verse 10 with me. And we're going to just be very brief in this area. What am I saved to? For we are God's workmanship, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Or a better translation is so that we can walk in them. This phrase, walking into the plans of God, is a phrase that's going to be used often in the book of Ephesians. Unfortunately, the NIV doesn't seem to translate it that way. But that's Paul's intent, that we walk into, we walk out this calling of God. And I say it again, and you, you, you see the word creation or created. We must remember, friends, that salvation is not patching together what was broken or or kind of a quick fix to something that's not working properly. Salvation, we need to grasp this. Salvation is creation from nothing. It's resurrection life from the dead. That's what salvation is. How much assistance can a dead body give to resurrection life? None. Thank you. A, A dead body can't resurrect itself. A a person outside of Jesus can't save him or herself. Salvation is resurrection life. It's creation out of nothing. And Paul says, not only are we created, but we are created to be God's workmanship, which is a dramatic word. It's the word masterpiece. Remember last week I spoke about the fact that we are God's treasured possession. Paul's playing on that, that, that idea again. He's, we, we, last week we learned he's, we're God's treasured possession. This week we are his masterpiece. God has created us. God has saved us. God has rescued us so that he can display his grace, so that he can display his glory to those around us. And, and, and to that end, he's prepared good works for us that we could walk, that walk out those good works to display the glory and the goodness of God. Paul's going to take a lot of time, and we're going to take a lot of time in chapters 4, 5, and 6 to, to explain what it means to walk out into these good works. But, but we don't, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because we still need to understand the realities of who we are in Jesus before we can do that. What was I saved from? What am I saved to? We've looked at both of those now. We're going to spend the last 10 minutes looking at what am I saved through? How did I get from where I was as a dead person to where I am now when I'm alive in Jesus? And look at me, look with me, not look at me, look with me (laughs) at at verse 4. And again, the NIV just kind of doesn't do it justice, but most other translations, the the first two words of verse 4 are this, but God. But God, we were dead, we were enslaved, we were condemned, but God. And that's, for me, that's an incredible summary of the Christian life. 
not just salvation, but friends, each and every uh, season we go through, have, have you, surely you've experienced this as you've walked with God. The, 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 the opposition seems overwhelming. The finances seem, seem non-existent. The, the relationships seem, seem, seem confrontational. But we always know this, but God. But God is able, but God is able, but God has a plan, but God wants to work. And then when it comes to salvation, God intervened. We need to know that God stepped in and did something. What did he do? Look at verse four with me. We're gonna read verse four through seven. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God saved us, friends. God rescued us. God delivered us. That's the essence of, that's the means of our citizenship. The reason that we can call ourselves citizens of heaven is because God saved us. And, and Paul uh, um, unpacks this concept of salvation by, by using three words. He uses the words that, that we are alive, that we are raised, and that we are seated. But very significantly, he attaches our being raised, our being alive, and our being seated. He attaches that to the, to the historical reality of what's already happened in Jesus. In the original Greek, Paul uses the, the, the prefix syn, S-Y-N. You know, we get the word synergy, and it means together with. It means, it means combined with. And, and, and look at, at those verses with me. You see, Paul says that, that God made us alive together with Christ in verse 5. God raised us up with it, together with Christ in verse 6. And together with Christ, God seated us in the heavenly realms. Friends, we, we've got to know, we've got to understand that, that we're not just raised and we're not just, uh, 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 it's not just resurrection and it's not just ascension and it's not just being seated. We are, we are co-raised and we are co-resurrected and we are co-seated with Jesus. That's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is, is not essentially a person who's following the teachings of Jesus, although we do. A Christian is not somebody who worships Jesus, although we do. What separates us, what, what sets us apart as Christians is this reality, that we are in Christ. That's the truth. That's the good news of the gospel. We are in Jesus. He is the head and we are the body. He is the bridegroom and we are the bride. He is the vine and we are the branches. In Romans chapter six, it talks about the fact that we've been baptized into the body of Jesus, which, which literally means we've been placed into Jesus Christ. Paul goes on in a few verses later in, in Romans chapter six, he says, you've been united, which is the, the word to be fused. Forgive me if you've heard me use this example before, but I, I, I couldn't think of a better example. When Paul speaks about being fused, he's speaking about an, something that is inseparable. It's impossible to be taken out of the body of Christ once you've been placed in. I have a car which has four wheels. The wheels are attached to the car, but they're not fused to the car. If I were to get a puncture or the tire were to be shredded, I would take the wheel off and I would take the wheel into the, the shop and, and get it replaced. 
But, but if I were to break my little finger, unfortunately, I can't unscrew my little finger and drop it off at the doctor's and come back three weeks later for a fixed finger. Because this finger is fused to the body. And that's the, the, the strength of the language that Paul is using when he says that we are co-raised and co-seated with Jesus in heavenly places. Colossians chapter 3 says, we are, we are now in Christ, and Christ is in God. That's how secure your salvation is. Is Jesus ever going to be outside of God? Is Jesus ever going to fall out of heaven? Is Jesus ever not going to be part of the incredible Trinity? No. Well, you and I are in Jesus. That's how secure our salvation is. Can I say, say this thing, friends? We must understand this is not an exhortation. This is historical reality. This is historical fact. Jesus ascended, well, Jesus was raised from the dead as a historical fact. Jesus ascended into heaven as a historical fact. Jesus is seated on the throne of glory as a historical fact. And you know what? For every person who believes in Jesus, the same is true for you. It happened to you because it happened to him. Again, forgive me for using an old and tired example that I've used before, but, but again, fresh out of new ones, but I hope this will illustrate the point. Michelle Obama became the first lady of our nation, not because anyone voted for her. It's because of something that happened to her husband. It happened to Michelle Obama because it happened to her husband. It's happened to you because it's happened to Jesus. Jesus is raised. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And so are you. And so we have this, we, we have this new disposition. We have this, new, this renewed mind and this new desire to, to please God. No longer are we walking in, in, in the death of our, of our transgressions and sins. We are walking out the plan and purpose of God with this new desire in us to please him. Romans chapter 6 goes on to talk a little bit later about the fact that, that you are no longer slaves to sin, but you are slaves to righteousness. Righteousness came along. Well, Jesus actually came along and said, said sin, I'm going to buy that, that person from you. I'm going to pay the price. And that person is, no, is now no longer your slave, but he's going to worship me. He's going to be mine. We're sin, we're slaves to righteousness as a fact. Why did God do this? Well, verse four, five, six, and seven tell us because of his great love, because of his incredible mercy, because of his amazing grace, and because of his loving kindness. In Ephesians chapter one, verse 19, Paul says that God raised Jesus from the dead to, to display his incomparable glory and greatness of power. Well, in the passage we've just looked at, we see that that God raises us up from the dead in Christ, not just to display his power, but to display his incomparable riches of his grace. The greater greatness of grace. How did God do this? We're coming into land. How did God do this? Look at verse eight and nine. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, because it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Friends, I, I, I emphasize this at the beginning, but I'll say it again. It's not by grace, by faith. It's by grace. Grace is the, is, is, the way, is the way salvation happens. 
And faith is the vehicle by which we receive it into our lives. And both grace and faith are gifts from God. So that no one can boast. Faith is, the, is, is, what, is what happens when we say yes to God. Faith is what happens when, when we come to God with an open and empty hand and say, Father, I've got nothing to give you, but I know that you've got everything to give me. And so by faith, I open my hands and I receive that which you give me. I was thinking this week, wouldn't it be amazing if we not only grasp the reality of, of salvation being a gift from God, but everything that we have in life being a gift from God. That the need for striving and the need for, for grasping and the need for finding identity in the wrong things will just be taken away. When we understand that every day, every person, every penny, every moment that we have is a gift from God. That would just be, that would change. I mean, can I just say, I'm not there. I'm not even close to being there, but I want to be there. So please don't hear me saying, oh, I'm, I've got it right. No, I, I haven't. I've been challenged in that this week. Wouldn't it be awesome to do that, live in that, in that particular way? I love how Paul says, and I'm going to end with this, how Paul says in verse nine, not by works, we're not saved by works, so that no one can boast. When we, when we think of that word boast, we think of, of the word to brag, but actually, in, 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 in biblical terms, it, it meant to, to find confidence in, to, fi- to search after something to find confidence in it. I want you to picture two warring armies and, uh, back in, in, in biblical times. And the reality with, with war in those days was that there was, you, you almost certainly faced death or severe injury. I mean, have you seen some of those movies where, you know, uh, I know that Braveheart wasn't filmed in biblical times, but it was, it was as fairly medieval. And you see just the radical carnage that takes place. And what the soldiers would do the night before a battle is they would look for something to boast in. They would search after something to, to put their confidence in so they could find some measure of rest. They would, they would shout it. They would say to one another, we've got 100,000 men, and they've only got 50,000 men. And then everyone would get their shields, and they'd be like, yeah, they'd beat their shields. And, and they would boast in the fact that they had confidence in their greater numbers. We don't beat our shields. We don't search after greater armies. But friends, let me tell you, we live in a world, even as believers, if we're not careful, where we are searching for other things to put our confidence in. We're searching for other things to boast in. We want to boast in our finances. We want to boast in the fact that we have relationships. We want to find our confidence in the fact that, that we lead ministries or, or, or that we have children. We, we, we're always searching for things that we can put our confidence or our, or our hope in. And I want to say to you today, friends, if you don't know Jesus, I want to say to you, there's a boast that we can have that quietens all other boasts. And if you do know Jesus, I want to say you already know the boast that we have that should quieten all others. And it's the boast in this. We boast in nothing, Galatians chapter six, except what? Jesus Christ and his cross. That's what we have the confidence of boasting in. Friends, this whole passage, I've been speaking about substitution essentially. Verse one, two, and three, I spoke about sin. But all sin is, is us substituting our, 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 ourselves where God should be. 
And then verses four through nine, I also spoke about substitution. But now I spoke, but there I spoke about salvation, which is not us substituting ourselves for God, but God substituting himself for us. That's why we can boast. That's the only one we can boast in, in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask that we close our eyes for a moment and just take a moment to, to reflect on some of these uh, truths. I'm going to ask Nate to come up and, and just, uh, just play some worship. I, I, I chatted with Christian after, uh, before the sermon, and I said to him that I feel like we would miss an opportunity to respond as a body in worship to God if we just closed the sermon said amen, and then went on to individual opportunities for us to say, God, I want to receive this or I want to receive that. We've, we've unpacked truth today that impacts every single one of us. For most of you sitting in this room, I've hopefully helped you understand from scripture that you were once dead, but you are seated here today alive, resurrected from the dead. I, I've hopefully helped you understand that you were once enslaved to the things of this world, but today you, you hopefully know in a, to a deeper level that you are no longer a slave. You've been set free. And, and I've, I've also touched on the fact that, that we, were, we lived in condemnation before we knew Jesus. But today, I hope you see that there is now no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna ask if you're comfortable to do this, just to stand with me. And I would love us to respond to God this morning by just declaring his praise and, thank, and for us to give thanksgiving to God for what he's done in, in our life. The reason I've asked Jonathan and Nate to come up is for two reasons. One, just to, just to see what God would do in the area of worship. Maybe we can just end with a, with a song of worship. But secondly, is to create some noise so that you guys can speak out and declare thanksgiving and praise to God. Can we do that? Can we take a moment? Just let's begin to thank God. Thank Him for the fact that He's made us alive. Thank Him for the fact that we are created new in Him. Thank Him for the fact that we now no longer live in condemnation. Let's begin to thank God for the fact that we are co-resurrected with Jesus, that we are co-raised with Jesus. I didn't even get onto the, 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 the reality of what it means to be seated on the throne of glory. Father, we thank you this morning that you've done these incredible things. Father, we thank you this morning that you've moved in such a powerful and dramatic way through your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you've, you've called us into this relationship with you. And, and, and we to this morning, Lord, just in this moment, lift our, our hands and lift our voices to you. And we say, thank you, God. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for liberating me. Thank you that I'm no longer condemned. Lord, I worship you. Lord, I praise you. I give you glory, Lord God.
of the greater greatness of grace, Lord God. For those who might be overwhelmed by, by, by obstacles, overwhelmed by sin, by overwhelmed by, by the struggles of life, Lord, today I pray for the, the, a revelation of the greater greatness of your grace. 
Thank you for those words in Ephesians 4. But God, thank you for intervening. Thank you for stepping in. Thank you, Jesus, for, for showing us the incredible truth of, what, of where we were, where we are now, but most importantly, what you've done in our hearts. Just as we stay in this place and before I hand over to Christian, there might be someone here today who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And maybe something of what I've shared today has impacted you. You've, the, maybe the lights come on. Maybe, maybe you've suddenly seen what it means to, to be outside of God and, and, and how God has, has made a way for you to come into relationship with Him. As I said, we, we are saved by grace through faith. And that through faith is us simply saying, yes, God, would you come into my life? Yes, Jesus, would you be my Lord and Savior? I would love to pray for you this morning, not invite you forward and embarrass you, but just right where you're seated to lead you in a prayer where you simply say, yes, Jesus, would you be my Lord and Savior? If that's you, could you just lift up your hand? I'd love to lead you in a prayer this morning where you can receive Jesus into your heart today as Lord and Savior. Anyone would like to respond to that invitation, just lift your hand so that I can see. I'd love to lead you in a prayer where you can receive Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father, for the incredible gift of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, we often, at the end of the service, um, want to minister specifically over some areas. But like Steve said, we really just felt today was the truth of, and power of his word is what we felt to press into as a body like this. But at the same time, if the Lord's been ministering to you, and uh, you, you may not even know why, I felt like there's, there's a number uh, of us that may just need uh, just another little oomph uh, at the end today. The Lord is stirring, and you're not even sure what to get prayer for. You just... You just want prayer. Please come forward. We'll have a team that will love to pray for you. And then uh, please hang around and let's uh, spend some time enjoying each other as a family. One of the phrases that kept coming to mind, uh, forget who said it, someone real smart, I'm sure. But as Steve was, was, uh, was preaching is that God's wrath is always aimed at whatever interferes with his love. Like Steve said, his wrath is not something to be feared it's that thing that deals with every injustice that's ever taken place on the face of the planet. His love is powerful. And uh, he really wants to meet you this morning and walk with you your entire life. So like I said, if you need some more prayer or just want some, please come forward and uh, enjoy your Sunday. Enjoy time together. Encourage you guys to, if, if you have time free, grab somebody, get lunch, get in each other's homes. Have an amazing week. Bless you guys.